It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson, still here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you're following us on all of our social media platforms. I love interacting with you guys. You can follow me at Mr. Cole Thompson. You can follow us at Aggies SI, at Locked On Aggies, and check out all of our great content at si.com slash T-A-M-U to catch up on all latest episodes of Locked On Aggies and all of our written content. And for more great podcasting, both college, MLB, and then NFL, NBA, we still got both those seasons going on. Make sure you're following us at LockedOnPodcast.com. Great podcasting, great interviews, great style of approach to podcasts. You don't want to miss out on those episodes. But for all you Texas A&M fans out there, well, guess what, guys? It's bye week. Yep, we have a bye week ahead as Texas A&M was able to pull out their big-time victory over UTSA to head into the final part of the season with a 6-3 and record. Now, with this week being a bye week, it's going to be a little different of a show approach. We're going to one day break down the offense, one day break down the defense, and one day look forward at what we can expect from AM. But it's Monday, which means we're always going to recap the game that just happened. And tomorrow's episode, we're going to, of course, recap what Coach said, what some of the players said, what they're looking forward to going into this week off, and how they hope to improve with three games in the SEC to close out the season. So why don't we start by breaking down what went right in this game for Texas A&M. To start things off, though, the Roadrunners looked like they maybe were going to hang around after their second drive. Lowell Narcisse ran it out from a two-yard touchdown run. That was right after a 44-yard completion to Sincere McCormick, where the Aggies just couldn't bring him down. He set them up in the red zone. They're up 7-0. Well, it literally took one play from the line of scrimmage for Isaiah Spiller to break out for a 60-yard run. That would tie things up, and Cordarian Richardson with 2.03 left in the first quarter would rush it from 19 yards out to give the Aggies a 14-7 lead. We didn't really see that much more happen in the second quarter until we got a chance to see Anaya Smith and his wickedly talented agility break free in the open field for a 25-yard gain. One play later, Kellen Mom would find Jalen Weidemeyer for a 7-yard touchdown to give the Aggies a 21-7 lead going into halftime. And the good news was that momentum would bring it over as they got the ball to start the second half. And from there, it only got better. On the opening drive of the third quarter, Isaiah Spiller, once again, trying to push for that 100-yard mark for the third time this season, breaks free for a 50-yard touchdown run. Sassamon makes the extra point, 28-7 Aggies, and then Spiller would just continue to dominate, rushing for 42 yards on the very next drive. They would then punch it out from 8 yards, Spiller with his third touchdown on the day to give the Aggies a 35-7 lead. Kellen Mom wanted to get a little bit more in the action, so he would rush it out from one yard away. Spiller would tie Travion Williams' freshman single-season rushing record with Williams in the building that day. What an incredible day. 217 yards on the day. Three total touchdowns. After that, Mom would be replaced by Zach Calzada. That's going to be an area where the team could look to improve. Calzada would go only... 4 of 7 for 27 yards. He'd also throw an interception caught by DeAdrian Richardson, who'd return it 
58 yards for the interception return for touchdown, making it 45-14. to That would be the final score. Aggies get the big-time win in front of their home crowd on senior day, but at the same time, there were some areas that you want to see improvement. While the team was able to get the ball rolling, while they were able to build a repertoire, while they were able to do some positive things, they still struggled overall because of it took them until the second half to really break out. Now, that could be a compliment to UTSA and what their program's doing. Narcisse looked pretty good. Uh, until he was injured by Anthony Hines in the third quarter and was placed by Jordan Weeks, he looked pretty solid overall with his ability to command the field, his dual threat style. I thought Sincere McCormick played great. He's one of those running backs who we may be looking back at like an Aaron Jones type thing in a few years and go, hmm, I wonder why he didn't play for a Power 5 school. He's talented enough to be on that level. That's what I think of when I think of Sincere McCormick, how he played. Overall, the Aggies defense didn't do a bad job in the second half, but they couldn't make tackles in the first half, which were issues that I definitely see being a problem. But let's just go right into it. The biggest winner of this game has to be Isaiah Spiller. Everyone has spoken about his potential, what he could be, what he's been able to do, what are some areas he needs to improve on. And those two fumbles against Arkansas and Alabama really, I think, derailed his confidence on the field. Off the field, I think it definitely was, you know what, I'm a freshman, I know what I'm doing, I know that I'm not supposed to be in this role, so I'm going to make the best out of the situation to hopefully impress my coaches. But he really needed a big-time game. And take nothing away from both Ole Misses and Mississippi State, he scored a touchdown in both, he rushed for over 70 yards in both games. This was the game where he said, you know what, I'm ready to prove the doubters wrong, I'm ready to step up. I'm ready to be that guy. And he did. Three runs for over 40 plus yards. On top of that, two runs, four touchdowns, long runs, a 50 and a 60 yarder, nearly duplicating the results. Two runs alone, he almost beat his single game rushing record this season. Two runs. He was the most stable part of the offense. There was a part in the first quarter where the Aggies were able to stop UTSA on their first drive, then they would go three and out. And you could audibly see Coach Fisher go, wake up to the offense. He was frustrated at these guys. But the one dude I think we can both sit here and agree on is Spiller came to play. Not only did he come to play, he came from the start. He was the most consistent player on that field, both I think offensively and defensively for either squad. For him to have a game like this, going into the final three weeks of the season, and with Kellen Mond struggling on the road, and their last two games are away, at Georgia, at LSU, Mond said that you need to rely on your teammates. A game like this could be a reason why defenses are trying to load the box up to stop Spiller from getting those yards. And that could help Mond out tremendously because what's going to happen is it's going to be a man coverage and it's best man to best target. So in a way, that is a win that his teammates are helping him out because they're so going to be prepared for Spiller and his ability, what he can do on the ground, what he can do in the open field. That's going to allow Mond to open up the passing game and for him to be able to put some points on the board. 
I definitely think that they can easily win two of these three games. They can beat South Carolina. They've done it five straight years in a row. I think they can beat Georgia. Georgia's had their moments of, we look like a top five team. And they've also had their moments of, wow, we need to go back to the drawing board. We need to see what's up. I wonder what LSU is going to be like. LSU seems to struggle in the month of November. But if they can continue to play the way they played against UTSA, against both Georgia and against South Carolina, I see LSU maybe wondering, okay, this could be a problem. We want to talk also about the emergence of the defense, some young talent that really stepped up in this game. Also, Kellen Mond once again having a big day. The seniors getting some love and getting some action, and we're going to discuss all of that in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson still here talking all things Texas A&M, breaking down this past weekend's game as Texas A&M picked up the 45-14 victory over UTSA. They head into their bye week now, sitting at 6-3 with a chance to continue their dominance. They're on a three-game win streak. They want to try and make it six. They want to try to be able to go ahead and defeat South Carolina in their final home game. They've done it five years in a row. I could see them doing it at six for sure. Then they want to go ahead and make two massive, massive upsets with them traveling to Sanford Stadium to beat the Georgia Bulldogs. Very plausible. And then going into Death Valley and definitely upsetting LSU. The way LSU's played this year, they could legit be the national champions when this is all said and done. And also, if they beat Alabama next week, there is almost a 99.9% chance when LSU faces A&M at the very end of November, they're going to be the number one team in the nation, which would mean A&M has faced the number one team in the nation three times in a single season. They did it back in September against Clemson. They did it back in October against Alabama. And if LSU holds on to beat the Crimson Tide this upcoming weekend in Bryant-Denny Stadium, they're probably going to be number one, and they'll face them in November. Once again, for AM, you have to be impressed with their young talent that continues to make plays in the open field, continues to keep this AM team thriving, moving forward in the right direction. I tweeted this out at halftime because if I thought it was very important that AM fans who were jumping off the bandwagon all season saying that, you know, this is another loss year, we can go seven and five, we can go six and six. We could be a rough team. Well, yeah, that's what happens when you have a rough schedule and a lot of young talent. But when your schedule becomes better, but the teams that you face consistently every year stay the same, and Alabama that's still going to be ranked really high, and LSU team that will probably be ranked really high, you know, in the future you're also going to have a game against South Carolina. They could definitely be in the mix. You're always going to improve. And with the new schedule that will come out in 2020, this is a chance for AM to take that next leap and join that conversation of the next best team in the SEC. There is a chance that they could finish as the number two team in the SEC West. They have to win out. They have to win out to do it. And they also have the hope that LSU loses not just to them, but also to Alabama. But if they do all that, or Alabama loses two games somehow. But if they do all that, if they can do all of that, AM can finish second in the SEC West. They're probably going to finish third. Let's just get that out of the way. Right now, they're probably going to finish third, 
even if they are the only loss for LSU. I don't see Alabama right now getting another loss. So two SEC losses, unfortunately, doesn't for A&M. But the talent that's here for the long-term future of A&M, I thought was really impressive. I very much did. They're going to have now a three-headed workhorse when Jay Sean Corbin returns next year. And he is only going to be probably a redshirt sophomore because if he got hurt in week two, so they could redshirt him this season medically. And now you have him for at least another year, if not probably two. So now you have him, Isaiah Spiller, and Cordarian Richardson, a redshirt sophomore right now, all making plays in that backfield. Then you have a running quarterback in Kellen Mond for hopefully another year. I think he'll come back. I definitely think that he's going to want to improve his draft stock. And with the quarterback class that's in place this year to go to the NFL draft versus the quarterback class that's next year going to the NFL draft, really just Trevor Lawrence right now is the big time name. Why not? Why not come back and just boost your stock? So there we go. You got them. You now have a three-headed monster in the backfield. And even if you lose a receiver, such as Kendrick Rogers or Courtney Davis or Jamon Osbin, all guys who could possibly be draftable players, they're all of age, they all are ready to go. You have Anaya Smith, who dominated once again. His role was so small in the fact of, you look at it on paper, three receptions, 31 yards. Well, the thing was, that 25-yard reception that allowed him to juke and jive and make UTSA defenders miss in the open field, set up for the Jalen Weidemeyer touchdown, the very next play. To top that off, that's what got the ball rolling for AM. They kept that momentum from the Smith play and brought it all the way late into the fourth quarter. When they did that, it was a whole new ball game. This was the AM team that we all thought, okay, this is going to be the team that really defeats UTSA. They're the ones that make a big, big impact. And then you have Jalen Weidemeyer, who right now is leading all freshman tight ends in touchdowns. He has six on the year, and he's only done it in limited production. 17 catches, I believe it is, 210, 220 yards, six touchdowns. Red zone factor. When he gets the ball, something positive happens. We saw him against Alabama. He only had three catches, two were for touchdowns. Last week against Mississippi State, I think it was three receptions, 150-yard touchdown, 51 yards. This week, first catch of the day, touchdown. Positivity happens when Jalen Weidemeyer has the ball. And they're also getting back Baylor Cup next season. He was supposed to be the starting tight end. He was the guy that when you look at on paper, He's the dude who's going to be taking over. He's going to be the face of the program. Jace Sternberger is leaving. We got him. Well, now you have a good problem on your hands because now you can run double tight formations. You could probably start teaching one of them to play in a flex position, play wide out with one playing in a three-point stance, and there you go. Now you have a double tight end formation that's going to be tough to already block, that's going to be tough to already guard and coverage. It's a good move. So to me... The young talent that's in place, you also have guys like Kenyon Green, DeMarvin Leal having a good game, uh, Damani Richardson did not play. He and Elijah Blades are expected to be back, though, 
uh, by South Carolina. So that's a very good sign for the secondary. All these guys who can make plays at a very young age are, one, doing it, and two, they're helping A&M stay afloat. Imagine with that veteran experience. Imagine if Smith was at Jamon Osmond level or Courtney Davis level. Imagine if Weidemeyer was a Jay Sternberg type player. Imagine if Green was a blocking style of Jake Matthews in college. That level already, that is so big for the future of the program. Calzada is going to be the one that we're going to worry about a little bit just because of the sheer fact of, well, we don't really know. We don't. We don't know what he's going to do, what he's going to be. But at the same time, you got Mond right now. So if A&M is ranked super high next year in the AP rankings to begin the year because of what we've seen in recruiting and what we've seen from this season in production, believe it. Because I definitely think that this strength of schedule for A&M has hurt them. But at the same time, it's gotten a lot of young talent to see the top level worth of defenses and offenses that they're going to face in and out each season. That's a very big plus sign. Speaking of a plus sign, there are some things around the SEC that could lean in AM's favor. Moving forward into the final month of the season, the state of the SEC will be coming up right in a quick minute. Guys, erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with the doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com locked to get a free online visit and a free two-day shipping. Remember, that promo code is GetRoman.com locked and get your erectile dysfunction taken care of today. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson still here talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you're following us on social media at Locked On Aggies, at Aggies SI. Follow me on social media. I love interacting with you as fans at Mr. Cole Thompson and check out all of our great content at si.com slash T-A-M-U or all of our podcasts at LockedOnPodcast.com. Another person I want to feature right before we go into the final part of the show, Jamon Osmond had another really productive game. He's been kind of that undertone guy just because of he's no longer finding the end zone. But five catches, uh, averaging 18 yards per catch, 90 total yards on the day. He had a long of 35 yards. That would set up for a Isaiah Spiller touchdown. He's had a really good year. Kendrick Rogers is also finding his rhythm once again. Three catches, 31 yards, longest of 16 of the day. While he isn't probably that big-time receiver that now everyone was thinking, oh, he could take over and become a really big name to watch out for in the NFL draft, I definitely think he's a guy that if he has a strong month, he could maybe teeter on the decision of, am I going to go pro? Am I going to go wait another year? This is a guy who I think has the ability to do both of those things. But I've just been very impressed with how he started off so slow, and now he's at least starting to come into his own. But him and Osborne are still going to be true leaders. You pair them up with Anaya Smith, Isaiah Spiller, Courtney Davis, and Jalen Weidemeyer. This is a dangerous offense heading into the final month of the season. Speaking of final month, we're getting a little closer on seeing who could be bowl eligible, who could miss out this season 
on a chance to represent their school in December. And that's what we have with the state of the SEC. Quick recap, talking all things SEC, all things that happened this past weekend. Not as many games as you would have wanted, but you know what? There still were some good ones. Let's start off in Fayetteville, Arkansas, where the Mississippi State Bulldogs are looking to get back on their winning ways following a three-game losing skid. Well, guys, they start off strong. Kylan Hill with a four-yard touchdown run on the opening drive. Give the Bulldogs a 7-0 lead. Tommy Stevens comes back in at quarterback. Osiris Mitchell catches a 33-yard touchdown pass from the former Penn State quarterback with 531 left in the first quarter. That gives the Bulldogs a 14-0 lead. Jay Chrisman made a 26-yard field goal to go 17-0 right before Rakeem Boyd on the very next drive would break free for a 52-yard touchdown run to finally give some offense to the Razorbacks. 17-7. It would be 38-10 at halftime following a Marcus Murphy 32-yard interception return on a pass thrown by Nick Starkle, former Texas A&M quarterback. And from there, it was just pretty much the rest of the way. Bulldogs. Tommy Stevens finished with 172 passing yards, two touchdowns, 12 of 18. Kylan Hill, 234 rushing yards. He finished with three scores as well. The Bulldogs get the 54-24 win. They improve to 4-5 and five on the year. Arkansas officially eliminated from bowling this upcoming December with a 2-7 and seven record. We're going to head over to the Plains of Auburn where the Tigers were taking on Ole Miss. And maybe we have more questions on the Tigers more than we do actually on Ole Miss. Anders Carlson would make a 20-yard field goal to give the Tigers a 3-0 lead. That would be followed on several drives later in the second quarter with a DJ Williams one-yard touchdown run making it 10 to nothing. But John Reese Plumley with 44 seconds left in the half. Four-yard touchdown run, making it 10-7. to Bo Nix, once again, using his legs rather than his arm to keep the plays alive. 17-7, Anders Carlson would then make a 38-yard field goal to make it 20-7 to with going into the fourth quarter. But Snoop Connor, one-yard touchdown run, making it 14-20. Nix, finishing with 340 passing yards, but no touchdowns. DJ Williams, 93 yards. Bo Nix, 20 yards on the ground, both scoring a touchdown. John Reese Plumley and Matt Coral would combine for under 100 passing yards. Plumley, 92 yards on the ground. Auburn holds on to get that 20-14 win. They improved to 7-2 on the season. But are you going to consider them a top 10 ranked team moving forward? We're heading out to Neyland in Knoxville, Tennessee, where the Volunteers were taking on UAB. UAB's been a pretty good team in years past, so I definitely thought that this could be a bit of an interesting game. It wasn't. Brett Samigla with a 36-yard field goal to start them off. He would go 2-for-2 two two in the first quarter, making it 6 nothing Volunteers. He'd also make it another one on a 53-yard field goal. This is really a field goal game for him. 9 nothing. That would finally be followed up by a Ty Chandler 11-yard touchdown run, making it 16 to nothing. Juwan Jennings getting in the run. Actually, in the run. Not just in the mix, but in the run. Two-yard touchdown run, making it 23 to nothing. Jared Guantanamo, finally, with 108 left in the third quarter. Quarter, finds Eric Gray for a 13-yard touchdown pass, making it 30 to nothing. Guantanamo finished 13 and 21 with 147 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception. Guys, Tennessee is two wins away from goaling bowling. They're four and five on the year, following the 30 to seven victory over the Blazers. Let's see how their season closes out, and if maybe, just maybe, they get two wins and go bowling. 
Columbia, South Carolina, we go, where the Gamecocks are looking to get back to their winning ways following their upset victory over Georgia. They suffered two losses, and Vanderbilt, hoping to stay alive, maybe be that upset team once again. Fortunately, they weren't. Although, Cam Johnson and Riley Neal connected really early in the game, 26-yard pass from Neal, making it 7 nothing Commodores. But, here come the Gamecocks. Ryan Helensky finds Xavier Legit for a 20-yard touchdown pass, making it 7-7. Kevin Harris, with 138 left in the second quarter, would put South Carolina up 14-7, heading into halftime. Parker White would nail a 22-yard field goal, and Brian Edwards, in the fourth quarter with 639, would catch a 25-yard touchdown pass from Helensky. Helensky finishes 24 of 31 with 235 passing yards, two touchdowns. The Gamecocks get the 24-7 victory. They improved to 4-5 on the year. They will now face Appalachian State next week before coming into Aggieland to take on Texas A&M. Finally, the game of the week, the biggest cocktail party in America down in Jacksonville, Florida. Florida hosting Georgia. This game went back and forth. At one point, it looked like maybe Florida could complete the comeback. In the end, it just wasn't enough. Rodrigo Blankenship started it off with a 31-yard field goal, give the Bulldogs a 3-0 lead. Jake Fromm would make a 3-yard touchdown pass to Dominic Blaylock to make it 10-0. Here come the Gators. Evan McPherson, 38-yard field goal, making it 10-3, a score away. But Rodrigo Blankenship would put the Bulldogs up by 10 with a 37-yard field goal heading into half. Once again, Blankenship using his leg, 16-3 in the third quarter. Then Van Jefferson catches a 23-yard touchdown pass from Kyle Trask to make it 16-10. But Lawrence Kager breaks free on a 52-yard run following the catch from Jake Fromm. They would then complete the two-point conversion, making it 24-10. Freddie Swain would, though, catch a two-yard touchdown pass from Trask, making it 24-17. The Gators would try to make the completion, make the comeback. They couldn't. Fromm finishes 20-30 of for 279 passing yards, two total touchdowns. Trask, 21-33, of 257, two total touchdowns. The Bulldogs get the much-needed victory, improved to 7-1 on the SEC, 24-17 victory over the Gators. Gators, 7-2, probably going to drop. And also, the new AP poll was released. And guys, unfortunately, A&M's got to wait maybe one more week before they finally start making it in. Four teams represented the SEC in the top 10. LSU, of course, coming in at number one following their bye week. They'll face Alabama, who comes in at number two in Bryant-Denny Stadium. The Crimson Tide open up as a seven-point favorite, though, over the top-ranked Tigers. Georgia moves up to Florida's old position from eight to number six. Florida drops from number six to number 10. And Auburn, despite getting the victory over Ole Miss, drops to number 12 on the year. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Aggies SI, at Locked on Aggies, at Mr. Cole Thompson. Check out all of our great work at SI.com slash T-A-M-U. And make sure you're checking out all of our other podcasts found at LockedOnPodcast.com. Tomorrow, breaking down everything Coach Fisher said and what some of the players said going into their bye week, what their mentality is, and what they took away from this big-time victory over UTSA. We'll see you same time tomorrow, fans. And guess what? Gig em, y'all. This has been Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network.